everybody be cool. You be cool. First rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Is this a dream? Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. I hope not. If it were, they'd be wrong. Come with me if you want to live. Hi, I'm Catherine, and this is episode 31 of the BBFC podcast. In our new shorter format, which we're putting out fortnightly in a 15-minute setup rather than longer 30-minute setup, let us know what you think about this and if there's any particular subjects you want us to touch on in the podcast. Today, I'm joined in the BBFC viewing theatre by Assistant Director David Austin, and we're going to talk about something which sounds quite boring, but I think David's going to make it quite interesting. Let's um, hope so. <laughs> BBFC annual reports. So why do you make me put out the BBFC annual report, David? Well, although we were set up by industry back in 1912 and we're an independent company, we are under a legal obligation to submit a report to Parliament every year on our classification work. And this report was tabled um, on the 14th of July. So it's the Video Recordings Act 1984 that requires us to provide the annual report. So what happened before that? Did we just not bother? In fact, we did produce annual reports right back to 1913 was the first report, a year after the BBFC was created by industry. And what's really interesting going back through these reports are some of the concerns that the public has today and that the board wrote about uh, were reflected back uh, 100 years ago. There are some differences which we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at, but some of the, the, the format of the report is, is, is very similar. So one of the things that we're required to do now under the Video Recordings Act is submit our accounts to Parliament so they can ensure that we're a solvent organisation and capable of fulfilling our statutory functions. And back in 1913, the, the year of the first report, we actually gave a, a little account of our a financial situation back then and the report towards the end says and at the end of the year we have a balance of 409 pounds seven shillings and four pence uh, our accounts nowadays in the 2014 report are a bit more complicated than that but uh, you know from small acorns so how do the reports develop as the year goes as the years go by are they sort of always the same or can you see big differences in the changes to the organization you can see um quite a few changes. I think what we're going to do after this podcast, isn't it, Catherine, we're going to put the, the reports that we're talking about now on, on the website so people can take a look at look, look themselves yes. at what we're yes, saying. Yes, I will do that. Let, let's go back to 1913 and see, see what they said in other areas. So back, back then they said there were 66 publishers of film that submitted works for classification. Most of them I'd never heard of, but there are still some very famous names that were around then and still around now, such as Warner's, Universal and Pathé but most of these companies have sadly disappeared. What was interesting is that in 1914, the number of uh, companies submitting works had increased, and this was part of the board trying to gain acceptance um, among um, bodies such as film, film distributors, local authorities. So they were trying to make classification become the norm. Exactly, exactly. And if we go back to 1914, the report talks about the number of local authorities that require cinemas to show the BBFC classification before films. And in that year, 23 new local authorities insisted uh, that cinemas 
did need to include the BBFC rating as part of their licensing obligations. So what are the kind of classification issues they talk about in these older annual reports? Is it similar to what we discuss in our annual reports today or what are the differences? Some of them are quite similar. I'll I'll pick out a few differences first though. If you look at the 1914 report which came out at the very end of the year, the First World War had been going on for several months by then and there were new issues that concerned the board in 1914 that didn't concern the board in 1913. And the 1914 report lists concerns including realistic horrors in warfare, incidents tending to scare the public and produce panic during the war, scenes depicting the movement or disposition of troops and other incidents calculated to afford information to the enemy. And another new one, incidents having a tendency to disparage our allies. So they're very specific concerns at a very specific time that weren't a concern before the war and then weren't a concern after the war but were very Um, a very important issue then. Taking another more general issue that comes up several times actually in these old reports and is still a concern today and that is uh, cruelty to animals. So in in the 1913 report it's the first issue that's listed of um, so it says exception has been taken to 166 films on the following grounds and the number one ground is cruelty to animals so that's back it that's 102 years ago and st- still today we um, will not classify um, any content that in, in, involves the cruel depiction of pain or injury to animals and if you look at the 1933 report this trend continues and and the re- I just want to qu- read a couple of sentences because it's so fascinating so um, the report talks about um, A love of animals is a trait in the British character which is much admired in other countries. It goes on to say, there's no other country in the world that has such statutory powers in respect to this matter as obtain here. And it goes on to say, the board is most anxious rightly to interpret this national sentiment. So since 1999 we've been formally consulting the public every four or five years on what they consider issues of concern. But back in 1933 it's kind of start to that process they were trying to take account of public concern over this one issue animal cruelty although it's much less formal than it is today so we can see that some concerns remain the same and um, yeah it's a precursor of our more formal public consultations that we do nowadays yeah that's really interesting that even back then the board was trying to gauge public opinion rather than just making it up as they go along and and that idea of keeping the cinema as as somewhere that people didn't have to think about the war when they were there and thinking about public sensitivities you know if if women had men away fighting and they went to the cinema they might not want to see those kind of things on the screen so what other similarities are there in the way the board worked then as the board works now? So if you look at the 1923 report, there's some very interesting statistics about um, films that were past U and films that were past A. Between 1920 and 1923, that the number of films past U, suitable for all, increased quite significantly from 1100 to 1600. And the number of the films past A, so for a more mature audience, went down from nearly 1,000 to 250. Now, the, the report makes it very clear that this disproportion, and I'm quoting from the report, this disproportion is not due to any relaxation in the application of the principles of censorship which have been laid down. Quite the reverse. What it's saying is that this change in ratio between U and A reflects distributors making changes to a work to secure a lower classification. And so it's interesting that that was happening back in 
the 1920s, particularly growing in the 1920s, this practice. And it's something that happens today. So quite often we will have a dis distributor coming to us and, um, to seek our advice and say, we want a 12A for this film. It's not quite finished, or it's, it's, it's in post-production. Um, what does it look like to you? And we can say, well, at the moment it looks like a 15. And they will say, well, what, what do we need to do to get it to a 12A, which is a certificate we're after? And we will, if it's possible, it's not always possible to do that if it's a tonal issue, for example. But if it is possible, we will advise them on what changes they can make if they don't want a 15, but they, they would rather have a 12A. So interesting that you know, way back in the 20s, this, this practice seems to have started and, and um, we're doing it now. It's very interesting that it's the film industry adapted very, very quickly to the BBFC and what the ratings meant and what they could what was acceptable at each of those categories. Indeed. Just like now, although now I think their job is slightly easier that we have published guidelines rather than sort of having to gauge what other films have got and and going into more talks with the BBFC. Oh yeah, the the guidelines yeah. are really helpful to to filmmakers because they can see immediately you know, well, they, before they start filming, what's acceptable and what's not. We also do master classes for film directors and film producers to help them you know, get get the classification they want when they when they're making a film. So yeah, back back then there weren't these published guidelines, but there was still that dialogue between the board and industry to help industry get the ratings they needed. Brilliant. So in our annual reports now, we go through and we talk about different films at different categories and, and the issues that were in those. So what were the films they were watching back then in the 20s and 30s? Unfortunately, they don't name any films, which is, you know, for, for the historian is slightly disappointing. And for us, it's slightly disappointing. But what, they, what the reports do list are all the issues of concern that came up in these unnamed films. And... Um, Although, as we've talked about, some of them are similar, similar concerns to concerns parents have nowadays, um, some of them were, were really quite different. Going through a couple of them, in 1921, the board rejected six films in their entirety, so just refused to issue a classification certificate. And that was different from exceptions, wasn't it? That was a, Exceptions were just when they wanted cuts. Yes, yeah, this was, this was actually the film. It could not be classified uh, at all, even with cuts. And the first grounds given for... The rejection of, 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 of the first film was scenes in a foreign brothel, which begs the question, if it had been a British brothel, would it have been more acceptable? We don't know. But there's one um, quote from the 1913 report, which is um, grounds for cuts rather than grounds for rejection, which I have no idea what it means. And if any listeners have any ideas, even if they know what film it might be, please do let us know. The concerns given in the 1913 report for this unnamed film, and I'm quoting here, were indelicate accessories in the staging. I have no idea what that means. I have please, no idea what that if means If anyone knows, either. please do let us know. That is truly bizarre, David. If anybody knows what that might mean, I would like them to email me ASAP. Or you can always tweet us at BBFC. I'm sure that would make for some interesting tweets so that was a kind of whistle stop tour around our old annual reports and our new annual reports are out on the website if anyone wants to look at those and i'll be publishing some of these sections from our beloved old annual reports 
on our From the Archive series as well. Now, if anyone's got any ideas for future podcasts, thing they want to hear about, film files they'd like us to delve into, please let us know. There's a new contact form on our podcast page where you can fill in your details and your ideas for episodes. You can also email us on podcast at bbfc.co.uk or send us a tweet via at bbfc.